Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. There had been abuse in my family, but it was mostly musical in nature. I don't want any of this lover's lament crap. I want something peppy, something happy, something up-tempo. I want something snappy. If you've ever listened to music on the job, then you know it's all about having the right soundtrack. But finding those tunes isn't always easy, and that's when you call the Rock Doctors. I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. And I'm Greg Cotter, the Chicago Tribune. Stay tuned to our next installment of Rock Doctors. Plus, we review the number one album in the country by Mumford & Sons. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. I pour up a pimp C, light up a soda slim, straight out the gutter with the rest of the photo pins. Money for days, bitches go both ways. On the road to riches, bitch, I got road rage. Got the cushion, the swisher, got the fist over the liquor. Got the silence on the gun, take it off like a stripper. Yeah, wake up, wake up, I'm going at your face, make up. That is a track by the game called Celebration. It just cracked the Billboard Top 100. The reason we're playing it is because of that cameo you just heard by Lil Wayne. That represents the 109th Billboard Top 100 hit in Lil Wayne's career. Why is that significant? Well, for 45 years, Elvis Presley has been the kingpin of the top 100. He has had 108 top 100 songs in his career. Now Lil Wayne, at the age of 30, has broken the King's record. That's pretty significant in a lot of ways. Now, Elvis fans are going to argue that there's a few years of Elvis's career that are cut out of this chart. The Billboard 100 chart really didn't start going until 58 Elvis was active for a number of years in the 50s that weren't included in his total of 108 hit records. Plus, number one isn't what it was in the 60s or 70s. Well, that's true, but don't forget, Lil Wayne is only 30 years old. Even though he keeps talking about retiring, he's got a long time to go to keep adding to his total of 109. In other music news this week related to the charts, there's a study out of the U.K., a London company called Music Metric, that uh, measured the relationship between illegal downloading and streaming services like Spotify. Now, artists have been saying that the streaming services are cannibalizing sales, but this study found that as streaming increases, illegal downloading decreases. Now, some experts caution that there are other factors involved 
But there's an interesting tidbit to be gleaned here, especially on this week's charts, because that Mumford & Sons record that we're going to review later on in the show, Babel, that just set a Spotify record for the most streams in a single week, around 8 million listens Hmm. on Spotify in the U.S. alone. So if you are listening to the argument that this cuts into sales, the Mumford & Sons record tells a different tale. Even though 8 million people streamed it, 600,000 bought that CD, a record number for one-week sales in the United States this year so far. That is Dave Grohl leading his band, The Foo Fighters, and he has been a hero for many people for the past 18 years. Recently, The Foo Fighters played a huge gig in New York, the Global Citizen Festival, and Grohl left a lot of fans scratching their heads because he said, After this, we don't have any shows. This is it, man. Now comes a formal announcement, a letter from Dave Grohl. There were times when I didn't think the band would survive. There were times when I wanted to give up. But... I can't give up this band. I never will, because it's not just a band to me. It's my life. It's my family. It's my world. Nevertheless, they are on indefinite hold. Look, Guy is one of the greatest drummers in rock history. I will listen to anything he's on playing the drums. But the Foo Fighters, wow, what a disappointment after albums number one and arguably two. Dave, take a good long break, okay? Listening to Sound Opinions, I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis, and right now we're the Rock Doctors. So every so often on the show, we like to step out of the critics' mode and actually try to help our listeners with some music-related problem and become the Rock Doctors. That is right, Greg. We've got our stethoscopes on. Now, hopefully we turn people on to good new music every week. But when we are, in particular, the Rock Doctors, we are dealing with a patient who's come to us with a problem, saying, Doctor, please cure me. This week, our patient is Mark Crilly. That may be a name that is familiar to some people. He's a uh, comic book creator, a graphic artist, children's book writer, illustrator. He's done the Akiko and Mickey Fall series. And right now, he's working on a series called Brody's Ghost, published by Dark Horse Comics. These comics revolve around a young guy named Brody who's been drawn into the pursuit of a serial killer. And it's a lot darker, I think, than Mark's uh, previous work by his own admission. Therein lies the problem, Dr. Cott. Mark contacted Sound Opinions and said that like a lot of artists, he likes to work to music. But he's a bit of a softy. He likes gentle pop hooks. He needs a lot of melody. This is music that doesn't really lend itself to creating this dark art that he's producing right now. So he wondered if the rock doctors could help him get out of his musical comfort zone and find something edgy and moody, but still melodic and beautiful. 
So, of course, we didn't want to let a fellow writer down, so we have Mark Crilly with us now on the line from his home in Michigan. Mark, welcome to Sound Opinions. Thanks so much for having me. So, Mark, before we get into the music, tell us a little bit more about how you create stuff. What goes into making a graphic novel? Well, um, the first thing that always comes to me is sort of the basic premise of it. And it usually, in my case, will have a sort of um, fantasy type of uh, supernatural um, uh, premise of some kind. And then my strategy is to, uh, to know the end of the story before I begin, to know most of the key beats along the way, but to leave enough of it uh, sort of unformed that I can still surprise myself as I work along and to fill in the details. You said you're looking for music to work, too, so tell us about a typical work day. Well, I'm one of these lucky guys who gets to work from home, and so I you know, pretty much get up in the morning and uh, sit down, say I'm working on Brody's Ghost. Typically, I would be either finishing up inking one of the pages or else adding a gray tone. Um, and so, you know, it's either that or else the writing process. i got to admit, when I'm writing, I can't be listening to any music or anything. Mm-hmm. But when I'm drawing, I can, uh, you know, and, enjoy some audio while I get work done. So unlike the creator of, like, Garfield comic strip, you don't have 12 people who do all that for you. You do everything for your graphic novels yourself. That is true. That's absolutely true. I wish I had a little team of people to help me out. (laughs) Maybe someday. So concentrated blocks of time. It's a solitary job. Tell us about what you're using as a soundtrack now. Well, you know, I've always been a little bit of a musical softy by comparison to my own generation and certainly to the generations that came about in the 90s. You know, I grew up with the Beatles and so always wanted that sort of melodic, uh, big harmony kind of a sound. I was in high school in the 80s and got into the synth pop sound. And, uh, you know, more recently, I've kind of settled into people like Ron Sexsmith or Fountains of Wayne. But, I mean, you can see the through line of pop there. This is unusual, Mark, for a guy born and raised in Detroit. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you, you've caught me. Well, I, should, I fly the Motown flag uh, as well. And, and uh, you're right, I should, uh, I should be more proud of my <laughs> native local sound. Well, you know, Motown, and then there's also the garage rock thing out of Detroit. Um, but, okay, melodic pop. So what exactly is the issue here? You're, you're transitioning into some different types of work now, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, this Brody's Ghost graphic novel series that I'm working on has some pretty dark themes to it. You know, the main character acquires uh, psychic powers. Uh, he's in pursuit of a serial killer. There are some scenes where he is able to uh, envision quite clearly the murders of these victims, the way that they took place. And so, you know, I'm I'm heading into some kind of twisted, dark territory <laughs> that I haven't gotten into before. That mm-hmm. sounds like my life. <laughs> <laughs> so Ron Sexsmith, synth-pop Beatles isn't going to quite work with that as a soundtrack, is what you're saying. Yeah, I fear that if I'm listening to all this soft stuff, it's going to affect the work and, and not give it that dark, foreboding feeling that I need. On the other hand, as great as they are, you can't picture yourself sitting and listening to Nine Inch Nails while you draw an ink and... Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, when you mentioned that whole garage rock thing, you know, that's the sort of parting of ways for me, and I I sometimes wish I could get an implant in my brain that would allow me to appreciate all that stuff, but uh, I'll tell you, you know... Listen, man, if you grew up drinking Detroit water, you know, there's a part of you that is Stooges, you just don't know it yet. (laughs) 
what is it about the aggressive stuff that you don't like besides no big pop hooks? Well, you know, I think uh, just a, a certain noise level, and it goes back to this Beatles thing, you know. I think the the Beatles pushed it right up to a certain point, but it never went into total noise, you know. And uh, so I've always just been a bit of a wimp in that regard whenever the guitars get really loud. Now, I'll tell you, though, that when, when there is loud stuff that has really good melody underneath it, like uh, a lot of Nirvana tracks, then, I, you know, I can go for that. So uh, I'm not a, a total wuss. Okay, but you don't like repetition. Yeah, that's true. I suppose I can get into a certain amount of that uh, the kind of background uh, repeating stuff. But I am, you know, I'm a huge fan of a complex melody. The first couple of uh, uh, albums by Rufus Wainwright, you know, that stuff really pushed my buttons. like the whole song is hanging on some really simple progression it just loses my interest okay wow okay oh so, I, I i got some ideas already dr cott i don't know about you dr dirigatis go right ahead prescribe something okay so now uh, dr cott and i are gonna give you two prescriptions you're gonna live with them for a week these albums by these artists and see if they're fitting your bill curing your musical ales the thing that really inspired me was the idea of a goth Chardet. I mean, there's my idea right there of an <laughs> ideal woman. And I'm going to recommend an album that's not even out yet. That's how hip you're going to be here, Mark. Right. Uh, it's out in a couple of weeks. It is the third studio album from an English artist known as Bat for Lashes. Her real name is Natasha Khan, and she is a Pakistani woman who grew up in London. Gained a lot of attention there, was a uh, Mercury Prize shortlist uh, nominee, won the Brit Awards in 2010. Her first two albums, much loved over there. They're so far only a cult following in the U.S., but I have a feeling that album number three, The Haunted Man, is going to be the one that really breaks her here. I mean, the title, right right there, right? The Haunted Man. She's naked and ghostly on the cover, carrying a naked and ghostly man on her shoulders. And that's kind of what the music sounds like. She's a multi-instrumentalist and a vocalist. Piano, bass guitar, auto harp, weird synthesizers, all these different kinds of percussion, xylophone. And, you know, it's kind of an uncategorizable sound, somewhere between indie pop and folktronica, dream pop, baroque pop, synth pop. You're hearing that word pop a lot, right? <laughs> I like it, I like it. You know, she is a great songwriter, but at the same time, we have some serious moodiness going on. Uh, I've been in love with this Haunted Man album ever since I got the advance, and we're going to see if it's curing what ails you. All right, well, I'm looking forward to checking that out. That really does sound like it's right up my alley. It's a good choice, Dr. DeRigatis. I'm going to have to try to top that one. I'm not sure I can, but I, I've got... When, as soon as you started talking about haunting melodies, Mark, I thought immediately of this artist, Nika Rosa Danilova, otherwise known as Zola Jesus.
is a fellow Midwesterner. She grew up in uh, Merrill, Wisconsin. But you think she comes from some deep, dark forest in Eastern Europe The way, when you hear this record that I'm going to recommend for you. She's put out three albums. I'm going to recommend the middle album that she's put out. It came out in 2010 called Stridulum 2. It was named after a 1979 movie. And get this, it, it sounds like it could be one of your novels. I mean, it could be something along the lines of that. It was called The Visitor. It depicts this battle between good and evil for a girl's soul. So you've got this dark psychological thriller going on. It inspired this particular album. Now, when you're listening to the record, I think you're going to think about the gothic element that we were talking about. It's a little bit scary in parts. I think you think these bats are going to be start floating out of your speakers any minute. <laughs> but the key word there is float, because, again, we go back to the melody, and I think it goes back to me for the voice. Zola Jesus has got this very enchanting voice. She started out classically trained, uh, did some opera work as, as, a, as a young kid, and it reminds me of that sea siren pulling the sailors in toward the rocks. You know, there's, there's a darkness to it, but the same thing, a, a beauty that you can't resist. And, and again, the melodies, really strong, some serious, serious anthems here. So the only question I might have, and we didn't really address this, Mark, when we were talking to you, is tempo. I don't know how, you know, if you particularly prefer stuff that's a little faster paced. Yeah, you know, I think actually when I look back at my very favorite songs, they all tend to come in at either a mid-tempo uh, or a uh, flat-out slow song kind of a tempo. Now, Perfect. What you just said will fit this Zola Jesus record. There's, it's very much in a mid-tempo to slower vein. It's dark, it's melodic, beautiful voice. Stridulum 2 is, is the record you're going to get, and I want you to live with for a week. Oh, awesome. Well, you know, I'm going to be listening to, to both of those uh, while I draw, and I'll be sort of checking it out on both levels. Now, Mark, you, you already put a Sound Opinions logo buried in deep one of your uh, your cityscapes, didn't you? <laughs> I did, actually, yeah. It's in the latest book, Brody's Ghost, book four, which uh, won't be out until next year, but it is hidden in this uh, insanely detailed double-page spread like uh, every good Easter egg should be. We've been animated, Greg, but we've never been uh, graphic novelized. No, we're totally honored. Well, (laughs) I'm just thinking, you know, I I don't want to overstep my bounds here, but we were talking about the bill and about insurance not covering it. You know, now, uh, were Jim and Greg to become uh, superheroes, uh, even in one panel, I think maybe the uh, We could sort of slide that bill underneath the the carpet and forget about it for a while. Fee might be uh, misfiled. Yeah, yeah, it's not too late. I think I can squeeze this into the background of one of these panels. All right, we'll check back with you in a week, Mark, and see how you're doing. I'm looking forward to it. I love to grow ones beyond compare. She saw inside me and gave me air. We're going to take a quick break on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. But when we come back, we'll find out how our prescriptions went down with comic book creator Mark Crilly. Later, we've got a review of the chart-topping new album from England's Mumford & Sons. Symptoms were induced by something I could not digest. She said a mouthful, I swallowed whole. My heart starts beating, it can't reroll. 
Sound Opinions. I'm Jim, he is Greg, but we are better known to our patients as Dr. DeRogatis and Dr. Koth. You are listening to our Rock Doctor segment, wherein we prescribe new music to listeners who are in desperate need. This week's appointment has been with graphic novelist Mark Crilly. Mark's created a number of really successful comic series, including Akiko and Mickey Falls. His most recent book, though, is Brody's Ghost, and it's given him a challenge when it comes to the musical soundtrack. As Mark explained to us earlier, he's a self-professed musical softie. But there's nothing soft about Brody's Ghost. So he called up the doctors to see if we could recommend albums that fit his dark and moody writing vibe, but which are still full of pop hooks. Mark's been listening to these prescriptions for a week, and we've got him back on the phone now. So let's find out what he thought. Mark, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back, guys. Uh, let's start with mine first. I, I gave you the Zola Jesus Stridulum II record from 2010. How did that go over? Well, you've started with the uh, thornier of the two, I must say. Uh, with this one, you got into something that's a little bit out of what I'm used to. Her approach is maybe to go a little more repetitious with the melodies. But I I kind of have a theory uh, in terms of what I requested and how you guys may have reacted to it, because I had asked for, you know, stuff that was dark-sounding but um, also very melodic. And uh, my feeling is maybe Jim said, oh, melodic, okay, and he went off in that direction. And my theory is that you, Greg, you said, oh, you want dark, huh? <laughs> I'll give you dark. <laughs> and so in that sense, uh, Greg absolutely nailed it in terms of uh, what I was requesting for in terms of dark atmospheric uh, stuff. But, but the key is, Mark, can you work to it? Is it inspiring, or are you just uh, getting frightened by the <laughs> stuff that's coming out of your speaker and saying, shut this stuff off? Well, you know, it's funny because the music is so dark sometimes that I think it almost contrasts with her lyrics. Uh, like uh, um, on track three, the one that's called I Can't Stand, she has this line that she sings, uh, it's going to be all right. telling me it's going to be all right, but the music is telling me, you know, maybe it's not going to be all right. <laughs> and you better brace yourself. The one thing I remember you pointed out, um, C-Talk. 
track eight, and mm -hmm. you were right on the money with that. I think that is the strongest track. So maybe not, uh, maybe not the complete album, but maybe on, on shuffle mode, uh, Seat Talk makes the list, right? That's right, that's right. I'll say this. One of the things that was a little bit hard for me with Zola Jesus is the voice. And I know uh, that she is maybe praised for this voice, but it's one of these kind of some acquired taste type voices. I would compare it to maybe like Morrissey or Elvis Costello, something you either go for it or you don't. And I think maybe in my case, her voice creates a little bit of a barrier for me personally. I went with a new album. You were so hip, you were the first, I guarantee on your block to hear this, The Haunted Man, the third studio album, by Bat for Lashes, a.k.a. Natasha Khan. How did I fare, Mark? Well, uh, sorry, Greg, but i got to say Jim nailed it. The uh, tunes, yeah, some really great strong melodies on this one. You know, the one that really jumped out to me immediately was track two called uh, All Your Gold. The opening of that is exactly my kind of thing, and I was like, oh, I'm going to like this one. Never see a big church steeple When I call you on the phone Never feel the rush of angels when we stay up late alone. Never whisper you a great love story, only scream and cry and moan. But you're a good man, but you're a good man. I keep telling myself to just let go. one point where I was not so fond of the lyrics, um, uh, track number five, Laura, mm. which uh, otherwise a gorgeous tune, but that main line, uh, you're the train that crashed my heart. Um, <laughs> it's a little too college student poetry class uh, for me, and, uh, and I wrote poetry in college, so I know how bad it can get. You're the train that crashed my heart You're the glitter in the dark But I thought it had some really interesting, surprising choices. That A lot of times things would happen midway through a song, after you thought you had the song pegged, mm -hmm. that would just kind of come out of nowhere. And um, I mean, the one I'm thinking of is called Marilyn. This track, you get about three minutes into it, and there's this kind of yoo-hoo kind of thing that pops in. So out of left field and almost kind of cutesy, but she makes it work. Tonight, you're never in 
It really is her vision, Mark. Uh, she's a multi-instrumentalist, plays many of the instruments on the album herself, and she did produce it herself. This is, this is coming straight from her soul. Wow, well, she definitely then deserves kudos for, I think, really mixing it up and making sure that every song uh, sort of goes around a corner that you didn't quite expect. So, Mark, uh, to recap, you loved Jim's recommendation of Bat for Lashes. Uh, You weren't as huge on Zola Jesus. There's one or two tracks that worked for you. But at least we gave you some prescriptions that seemed to be helping the creative process. Absolutely. This uh, this is great stuff. And, and, uh, and I do think in, in your own way, each of you guys gave me exactly what I was asking for. Well, that's very kind of you to say. Now, <laughs> what I want to know, Mark, is once you, you know, you're, you're starting to apply this music as the soundtrack to what you're creating, when will we see the fruits of your labor? When will we see the inspiration come to the public eye? Well, it's uh, book four in the Brody's Ghost series is what I'm uh, in the middle of, and that one is due out uh, in March of next year, they tell me. So we a little bit of a wait, but you will see the influence for sure. Maybe I can squeeze in uh, a little acknowledgments uh, section oh, there and, and yeah. tip my hat to you guys. Now you're talking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, it's been a complete pleasure. Thanks for uh, coming to the Rock Doctors. I loved it. Thanks so much for having me on. Don't send me no doctor. If you want to make your own appointment with the Rock Doctors or nominate someone you think is in need of urgent assistance, fill out a patient form at soundopinions.org. And tell us what you think. Should we be sued for malpractice? Call listening to Sound Opinions, and that is a song called I Will Wait, which is the first single from the second album by Mumford & Sons. The record is called Babel. Greg, I think it's safe to say it's one of the most anticipated albums of the year. As you said up top, 600,000 copies sold in week one in the U.S., number one album in the U.S. and the U.K. Who are these guys? 
we have the band leader, Marcus Mumford, who is a singer, a guitarist, a drummer, born in California, but based in London for most of his life. This band came together in 2007, a quartet, which also features banjo and dobro, keyboards and vocals and bass, coming together as part of a very active folk revival scene there. Some other names Americans might know, uh, Laura Marling and Noah and the Whale, part of that crew. Playing traditional music, Celtic folk, but also uh, American country and bluegrass music connecting in a big way. A lot of people might have seen the band for the first time in 2011 on the Grammys telecast when they backed Bob Dylan playing Maggie's Farm. Ironic, because Maggie's Farm was Dylan's farewell to the folk world. These guys are very much championing folk sounds, but in a modern realm. This album, like the first one, which came out in 2009, Sigh No More, features production from Marcus Dravs, a name that uh, has also been associated with the Arcade Fire. Let's play a track, and then we'll give our review of Babel by Mumford & Sons. This is the title track, Babel, on Sound Opinions. Numbered my days And I'll go along with everything you say But I'll ride home laughing Look at me now For the walls of my town They come crumbling down And my ears in a call Of my unborn sons And I know that choice is color To the watchman's son I ain't never lived a year Better spent in love Cause I know my weakness Know my voice And I'll believe in grace and choice And I know perhaps my heart is harsh But I'll be born without a mind Nursing my greed and my pride I stretch my arms into the sky I cry, Babel, Babel, look at me now Though the walls of my town, they come crumbling down You ask, where will we stand in the winds that will howl as my nose up to the glass around your heart I should have known I was weaker from the start You'll build your walls and I will play my bloody part to tear tear them down Well I'm gonna tear tear them
That's Babel, the title track from the new best-selling number one album in the country from uh, Mumford & Sons. Jim, that debut album came out of nowhere for a lot of people. The fact that it sold 2.5 million copies I think was a big surprise. And they built those sales figures on the back of uh, some really energetic shows. I saw them a couple of times in 2009 and 2010, and it really translated this folky sound. You, you think about these guys with their rolled-up sleeves and their vests playing in some, <laughs> you know, a big pink type of setting up in Woodstock, New York or something like that. You know, they're yeah. clearly evoking that era. And I thought then this could take a bad turn if they keep going in this direction. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, the whole idea of the folky instruments, I don't have an issue with that. But there's a possibility here that they're going to amplify this and, and turn it into stadium rock. And lo and behold, that's what Babel is. You know, people talk about the folky pretensions and the roots music of these guys, but I think they're really missing the point about what this album's all about. They're using these folk instruments, you know, the mandolins and the banjos and the upright bass as sort of signifiers. Yeah, we, we kind of like this music, but what, we're, what we really are is a stadium rock band or want to be. In the same way that, say, Kenny Chesney uses a pedal steel guitar as a signifier of old-style honky-tonk, but really is playing for that soccer stadium in, in Ohio. I mean, that's what these guys are doing on this record. They basically just completely steamrolled all the subtlety and understatement in their music. And that combined with the lyrics, which are taking some of this biblical imagery that they are famous for using. And, you know, whatever you think about the Bible— it's a fascinating book. That's why songwriters keep touching on, on the Bible and biblical imagery in their music. These guys aren't bringing any sort of nuance or personality to those tales. They're talking about these inflated terms, like the city that nurtured my greed and my pride. I stretch my arms into the sky. So give me hope in the darkness that I will see the light. I mean, these are generic boilerplate kind of versions of biblical storytelling, and it's not very good. Frankly, they've lost all the potential greatness that was there in that first album and turned into another boring stadium rock band. I have to give this a trash it rating. Well, I will enthusiastically double your trash it. I don't know what greatness was ever there. I wasn't very impressed with the first album either. You hear Kenny Chesney. Let me tell you what, what the real comparison is, Greg. It's U2. You know, City of Blinding Light, U2. Big, pompous, excited about spirituality, but never actually telling you anything specific about it. Marcus Mumford was born, as I said, in California. His parents moved over to England. He was raised in London. Why? Because they were bringing this evangelical Christian church, the Vineyard, into the UK. So he is steeped in the kind of Pentecostal church, which I would respect more if he was actually singing about Pentecostal teachings and more specifically Bible stories like you were saying. But instead, it's all this pomp and circumstance and bombast without really any stories there. Folk music is all about the tales, and, and there are none here, Greg. There's just a lot of posturing and shouting. This is the most inexplicable mass popular number one, I think, since Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> and you know how much I dislike them. So again, it's a double trash it for Mumford and Sons. But we want to hear your opinions on Mumford and Sons or anything else in the musical universe. Give us a call at 888-859-1800. We'll be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. You hold your truth so purely Swerve not through the minds of men 
sly as death This cup of yours tastes holy But a brush with the devil can clear your mind And strengthen your spine Fingers tap into what you were once And I'm worried that I blew my only child Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I am Greg Cott. My partner is Jim Irigatis, and you're listening to a little bit of the new Lupe Fiasco record, Food and Liquor 2, the great American rap album, part one. (laughs) That's the title. (laughs) And that's a song called Strange Fruition from that record. Lupe Fiasco, a 30-year-old hip-hop artist, is now a veteran of the game. It's hard to believe. We both remember very clearly when Lupe debuted in 2006 with his first record, Lupe Fiasco's Food and Liquor. Part of a wave of conscious hip-hop out of Chicago began with Common back in the 90s, picked up with Kanye West. Rhymefest and Lupe Fiasco picked up on it and and made an immediate impact, a record that displayed a hip-hop artist unafraid to be a nerd, to talk about the fact that, hey, I'm just a skateboarding misfit. Looking back at the street life that he grew up on, he grew up in some tough neighborhoods on the west side of Chicago, and in some ways that debut was his commentary on his upbringing. This is his fourth album since then. He sold on nearly 1.5 million albums. Food and Liquor 2 obviously pays homage to that debut record. The Great American Rap Album Part 1 is where the real essence of this record lies. We're going to play a track from it. It's called Around My Way from Lupe Fiasco on Sound Opinions. First off, say peace to Pine Ridge. Shame at all the damage that the white man wine did. Ghost dance, fella tears, five million beers a year. And all that other crime did. More peace to the teachers of blind kids. To red bells and small cells keeping their mind big. Say everything's hostile. Suicide bombers and prosperity gospels. Emaciated models with cocaine and blood pouring out their nostrils. They got to. Just to stay awake on the catwalk of life where everybody watch you. Straight hair, high heels, and a handbag. Crucifixes, racism, and a land grab. Katrina, FEMA, trailers, human body sandbags. A peace sign and a pass sag. A money toss cause a nine stripper mad dash. A friend request following a hashtag. Now everybody wanted like the last laugh. A Michael Jackson jacket or a daft mask. Purple Jordans on a mixed girl in your math class. 
stable is when the bath had Baghdad. But corporate jets really had to have that gas band. War and they hope they all fall from the rat attack. Cause that's just more dinosaur for the Cadillac. Live from the other side, what you see? A bunch of nonsense on my TV. Heaven on earth is what I need. When I feel I'm in hell every time I breathe. On live from the other side, what you hear? A bunch of nonsense all in my ear. Rich man, poor man, we all gotta pay. It's freedom ain't free, especially around my and way. Wait. Marvel at the state of heart of man. Then turn around and treat Ghana like a garbage can. America's a big, you know, for the garbage man. If you ain't know you part and parcel of the proper lamb. You say no, you ain't. And I say yes, you is. Soon as you find out what planned obsolescence is. You say no, they didn't. And I say yes, they did. The definition of unnecessary is Manifested. Say that we should protest just to get arrested. That goes against all my hustling ethics. A bunch of jails that can say it's highly ineffective. Depart from all and connect on Malcolm X tip. Insert ball when it's similar to separate. To me, the truth is more fulfilling than a method of finding really fast internet to have some sex with. It's all one song short of a set list. Couple croissants shy of a continental breakfast. Or blowing out your birthday candles just to make a death wish. So absurd word to chief bone necklace. Lakota's to casino, a whole culture boiled down to giving you Pacino. I go as left as a heart in the chest, cause the horn of Africa is now starving to death. That is Lupe Fiasco with Around My Way, Freedom Isn't Free on Sound Opinions from his fourth album. Greg, I'm gonna say it right up top, this is a only slightly flawed masterpiece. I have to applaud Lupe for talking about issues that very few people in hip-hop are talking about. The misogyny against women, the preying upon poor people to sell them stuff they cannot afford and that they do not need, the tying in both of the African-American struggle throughout history. We have a track called Audubon Ballroom. That's where Malcolm X was shot. Strange Fruition, that's tying into the song about lynching, Strange Fruit, immortalized by Billie Holiday, not only with the current struggle in America for racial equality, but, but the worldwide struggle. We have references to Afghanistan and Africa and everything in the world. Now, at one point, Lupe, who calls himself a professor emeritus, he can occasionally get a bit heavy-handed and preachy. But you know what, Greg? Nobody else is talking about a lot of the issues he's talking about. He often leavens them with some very welcome humor. And, you know, I would rather have Lupe Fiasco trying to save the world than Bono. (laughs) As far as I'm concerned, this is a buy-it record, and I'm really finding a lot of joy in it. Uh, Lupe Fiasco is an incredibly ambitious hip-hop artist. He's also a guy not afraid to speak his mind to the point of his own detriment. On the last record, he called out his own record company, you know? Well, and he's called the president a terrorist. Exactly. He's, he, you know, he's spoken out against President Obama, which, you know, you don't see that often, especially from the hip-hop community. What I find lacking in this record is a music that is consistently enchanting as that Around My Way track that we just played based on that Pete Rock, C.L. Smooth riff. I wish there was better production along those lines on this record. He's stuck with some of his old cronies, and and they're good for what they do, but I don't think they're at the level of the game that Lupe is. From a content standpoint, not only is he a smart artist, but he's addressing some issues that really provoke thought. He is a disciple of the great late historian Howard Zinn, who has devoted his lifetime to talking about the effect that 
government and economic elites had on the common people. And that's what Lupe Fiasco was talking about this record as well. You know, despite the fact that I find some musical shortcomings on this record, I find it so thought-provoking and so powerful on a lyrical level that I, I highly recommend this record. I think everybody should hear it. It's a buy it for me as well. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Remember, we were shipwrecked together. Pop it on the water skis and out to the desert island I go looking for Jim Dirigatis. Jim, you've got a desert island jukebox pick. What's it going to be? Greg, I think we need a great folk rock palate cleanser after Mumford & Sons, okay? I want to talk about this genre at its very best. I was initially thinking of playing something from Fairport Convention, the incredible band led by Richard Thompson and Sandy Denny that always called their music electric folk. But then I was thinking about the spiritual connection with Mumford & Sons as well. Richard Thompson has had three great careers, Fairport Convention, the music he made with his wife, Linda Thompson, and a long and very, very fruitful solo career ever since. We loved his last album. Both of us gave it a buy it on Sound Opinions. The very best record I think he has ever done was I Want to See the Bright Lights Tonight with his wife, Linda, and the very best song on it is called The Cavalry Cross. That, of course, is referencing the hill where Jesus Christ was crucified. But there is nothing specific in the lyrics. And in fact, Thompson is a devout Sufi Muslim, has been through most of his life in the spotlight. I love the way the idea of faith, the idea of a higher power is brought into his lyrics in a way that anybody can relate to without being specific and without the cheesiness and bombast of Mumford and Sons. And it's coupled perfectly with the music. You get the feeling of a death march as plottingly the drums march up the hill. I'm playing the album version. It is known as a showstopper whenever Thompson takes it out on stage. But if you've never heard this song, I want you to hear it as it was released in 1974. Here is Richard Thompson with the Cavalry Cross on Sound Opinions.
Everything you do, you do for me. Richard Thompson with the Cavalry Cross on Sound Opinions, my Desert Island jukebox pick. The Desert Island jukebox is supported by Maker's Mark Bourbon. Maker's Mark, it is what it isn't. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we've got a revelatory interview and performance from uh, Michael Angelakos of Passion Pit. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions is produced by Robin Lynn and Jason Saldana. Our assistant producer is Annie Minoff, and our new intern is Griffin Waterman. Of course, our executive producer, our fearless leader, Tori Southside Malatia, he's been dressing like a member of Mumford & Sons his whole life. Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New messages. Yeah, hi, this is Dave. I'm calling from Richmond, California, and I just listened to the uh, excellent interview with LP. However, I was a little surprised that when you talked about starting off one of his LPs, number three, I think, with a William Burroughs sample of Storm the Studio, and you asked him about that, that LP seemed to uh, make no mention of the fact that Meat Beat Manifesto not only did the same sample of the same William Burroughs, but called their debut album Storm the Studio. Storm the Studio. Jeez, guys, I can't believe you didn't ask him about that. None of you know that? That's a, you'd be lobbing softballs. Otherwise, I do enjoy your show a lot. Thanks a lot. Hi, this is Ryan 
from Amesbury, Massachusetts. And I just wanted to thank Jim for highlighting Return of the Giant Hog League in his Desert Island pick. But I think when he played the song, he left out the best part, which is the intro, uh, where you have Steve Hackett and Tony Banks playing in unison together, and Steve Hackett using a two-handed tapping technique that Eddie Van Halen would later co-opt in basically every hair metal band that came through the 80s would use. Um, I think that's one of the first places that you can hear it in that kind of uh, application. Well, keep up the good work, guys. Thanks. Hey, love the show, guys. This is uh, Steger from Chicago. Hey, um, what's with that Japan droid? Did you guys really like that band? That was like garage worthy, or not even. They wouldn't have even won my high school uh, talent show. It's horrible. They were awful. And then for you not to like, I can't believe you didn't like Green Day. That was a great song you played. You guys are unbelievable. Okay. Love the show, though. Keep it up. Thank you. Hey, Jim and Greg. This is Lee from Detroit. I'm a big fan of the show. You guys know a lot about music, but you might need to brush up on your art history. You uh, quoted a reviewer who compared the new XX album series of Marth Roscoe paintings, you then described the paintings as uh, black lines on canvas. That's not what Marth Roscoe paintings are like. Roscoe paintings are just two planes of color. They're very mysterious and meditative, kind of like the XX, so it really was a good comparison. Anyway, I love the show. Go to more art museums. I see no No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.